And if you are remaining here with us this morning, I'd invite you to take your Bibles out to the book of Luke. We are coming into really the tail end of a series that we've been in this fall titled Gospel Community. And the goal of this series has been to just maybe perhaps better define um, who we are as a local church family. And so I didn't call this series church. I didn't call this series church community or wherever way you can rearrange gospel church. I didn't, right? We went with these specific words, gospel community. And for a couple reasons, I, I feel as though whatever uh, your background experience and just personality perspective is, you hear the word church, you think something. Often you think in a place or an event, an activity. And, and that may be some truth in that, that. That may be a partial definition, a full definition, really, of what the church is. It's the body of Christ. And so we've just used this word gospel community to really define what a local church family is called to be. My hope has been if if we can just collectively, as a church family, better understand what biblically we're called to be, then we would better function as a gospel community, not only as a group here, but then into our community. And so we looked at areas of discipleship, that that has to be part of gospel community, discipleship, right? And I was even just uh, away this week at a a conference um, convention for our, our network and association and it's just challenged even personally with that. And one of the speakers just talked about maturing in Christ and how that's really discipleship, right? Growing to become more like Christ. And how often we've been taught and told that uh, maturity is a lifelong process. It's, it's just get ready. It'll take you till the day you die. You still won't be fully mature. Uh, and then you'll enter glory one day. And then you'll be fully mature. He said, that's actually not true. And as I wrestled with this, he said, he said, look, our job, our goal as followers of Jesus is to pursue and get mature as fast as possible and then stay there as long as we possibly can. Like maturity is something we get after and we get there as a destination, not this nebulous, look, it's just called sanctification. You'll keep doing it. And that is true. There is sanctification. You will just, you're never going to be perfect. Get over it, right? All your days, you'll have faults and failures and sin, but maturity you can get after. And you can be mature. You can be called that. And then you stay there as long as you possibly can. I love that. Versus this whole idea of just, hey, just keep growing. Keep doing, buddy. Maybe one day you'll get there. Like, no, the scriptures say you can be mature in Christ. And then stay there as long as you can. Right? Discipleship. We talk about things like that gospel community has to have gospel teaching and prayer as one of its core tenets. If we're not preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, and praying together as a, as a gospel community, then frankly, we're not really a gospel community. We're just a social group. We've said that that gospel community must have hospitality. I'm convicted of this and convinced of it. The New Testament is full of it. That for us, if we're calling ourselves believers, that's what you call yourself today, a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you've trusted in Christ's uh, perfect, perfect sinless life, his death, his resurrection, Right? For your salvation, and you've called him to be Lord, Savior of your life, not Savior, Willy Wonka, golden ticket theology, but Lord of your life as well. That's trust in the gospel. And then you are called to be hospitable people. Like, you don't get the right to own a castle in this world. 
You know what I mean by that? Castles were meant to keep people out primarily. Even in my own quiet time reading through the book of Joshua, right, Jericho um, was meant to keep people out. These huge, thick, massive walls. Like, you don't get that luxury. Sorry. You can have a nice house. I'm not saying you can't have a nice house. But you can't call it your castle. As a follower of Jesus, man, that's a resource for life and ministry and the gospel to flow out of. Today, we're going to look at just the idea that that gospel community must grow. That gospel community must grow. And if we're not growing, then I'm not sure we're being a biblical gospel community. And next week, we'll wrap this up and, and look to see, look, what then does it look to live in light of all this information? Like, what does it actually look like? And I think it has some exciting implications for those who call State Street Church their home. Again, this is not exhaustive, but I think it's helpful It's helpful in laying out things that need to be in our individual and corporate lives, but then it's also helpful to tell us that, that look, if prayer's not in our individual and corporate lives, perhaps we're not actually being the gospel community that we think we are. Perhaps we're not living biblically, thinking biblically, loving biblically. With that in mind, Luke chapter 15, if you have a Bible, if you don't have one, there's one in front of you, it will be on the screen as well. We'll look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. This is God's word. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. God, as we just take a few brief moments... So look into your word this morning together. I pray that, that your spirit would bury the truth and convict us of it deep within us. God, if you can use me in that process, great. And if I am just in the way, Lord, help these good people to forget my words, but retain and remember and cling to your scriptures this morning. In your name, amen. What we see here taking place in Luke 15 is, is Jesus spending time with people. And we see some different audiences here that he's hanging out with, right? There are some tax collectors, some sinners, if, as it's labeled here. And then there are some Pharisees and some scribes. It seems that some were drawing near to him and there, there was some grumbling going on. Right? And why we have to ask, would there be some grumbling? Well, I think because there's... In this current context, there's a socio-class system that the religious elite had created in their own mind 
that the ones who are serious about God would then not associate themselves as ones labeled as sinners. The social outcasts, the ones who are not meeting kind of all these religious marks that had been set up. See, there was a clear assumption here that if someone was serious about God, they would not only do the right thing, but they would not hang out with the wrong people. And there's some wisdom here, but the Pharisees and the scribes, really, they had stretched this, this point beyond wisdom to this elitism. And so we see Jesus, right? There, there are parts of Jesus' life that I'm drawn to, um, mainly I'm not sure if it's my sinful nature draws them, or I'm hoping it's God's sanctifying, sanctification work in my, but man, this is where Jesus bucks against the system, and I like it. Like, I like to go against the system, I like to go against the man, right, and these things, and, and, and this is what we see happening, right? Religious culture has said, look, if you're going to be serious about following God, make sure you do this, this, and this, and you better not do this, this, and this, and so don't hang out with those people. Now, why not a tax collector? Well, frankly, they weren't the most honest of people, right? There was the real tax. There was kind of a more implied personal tax. They kind of added on, and, and off what they added on wasn't just passed back to those in authority. It kind of went to their pockets. And, and so there's some integrity issues for sure going on here. And there's some truth, right? You hang out with kind of the, 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 the junk and, and, and just bad stuff of the world. You're, you're going to start to become more like that. I said to my, one of my boys this morning, right? I mean, just the antidote of just garbage in, garbage out, right? It's true. And so there's some, there's some caution here. The Pharisees aren't crazy with what they're saying. But don't miss what's being implied here. There's some grumbling taking place. He says, man, th- this man, he receives sinners. He welcomes them in. Hospitality, interesting, okay? And then he eats with them. Look, that's very different than Jesus happened to go to watch a baseball game and there were sinners hanging out there too. Like, this is Jesus inviting them in. And frankly, the Pharisees, man, they do not like it. And Jesus, because he is God in the flesh, right, the second part of the Trinity, because he is who he is, he sees this, and he knows the thoughts. He knows the hearts. He knows what's going on. And he decides to just tell some stories. And that's really what parables are. They're stories that have a teaching behind them and woven within them. It was always when Jesus told these, these uh, parables, he wanted to teach a godly truth within them. And so it just begins. And you've been around these type of people, haven't you? They just tell stories so well. And we've got to assume that this is what Jesus is like. And begins to just talk. Really, three stories are told. We'll look at two of them today. About a lost sheep, a lost coin, and later on, the prodigal son. And Jesus, he's, I love it, he's, he's smart, he's wise, he's God, okay, God in the flesh, but he knows how we're wired. He begins to talk about this lost coin, and, right, and this lost sheep, because he knows, guess what, we've lost things before. Have you ever lost something before? Okay, like, like what? What are some things you've lost? What's the greatest thing you've ever lost? I'd be curious to know. What is it, eh? Any feedback here? The greatest thing in your mind you've ever lost. You lost a championship game. Okay, okay. A diamond necklace, a ring. I lost my wedding ring in the woods of Pennsylvania. Never to be seen again. I did. 
right? And we lose these things, right? Whether permanently or just temporarily, there are feelings associated with this loss. When we lose something extreme, there's, there's, there's feelings wrapped up in it. It evokes emotion. There's panic. Look, I lose my wallet and my phone all the time to the point where I don't panic anymore. I'm sure it's somewhere and I'll figure it out, right? But when we, I'm talking about we lose these major things. We have friends that their youngest or second to youngest or third born, man, he loves just go on walks. The problem is he's about three years old. And they found him blocks away before. He just goes and he motors and he moves. I love him. Yeah, he's great. He's one of my favorite people. Because he's got a mind of his own. He's going to do it. Right? But that's, can you imagine the emotion? When we lose extreme things, man, there is emotion that's wrapped up in this. We go through cycles of panic. We lose kind of clarity of thought. We start retracing our steps. We think about what we could have done differently. It really stops us from doing anything else. And we begin a a kind of a drawn-in, stuck-in-the-ground commitment to finding this thing, no matter the cost, no matter the time, no matter the energy, no matter the mental focus or what discipline it will take, we will find it. Jesus knows we're wired this way. And here, Luke 15, with a diverse crowd around Jesus, he begins to talk about the experience of losing something. And as he talks, right, we're not talking about something minimal. Not like, you know, your favorite pen. But it's fairly minimal. Like, I've got a pen that I'm not interested in using other ones. It's true. I've got certain types that I like. But it's a pen. And even this morning, I picked up a pen on my desk, and it wasn't the right one, but I used it anyway, right? I can get past that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's going to something here of deep value. For the shepherd, a sheep, and for this woman, a coin. I want us to look again at really specifically verses 8 to 15. Sorry, 8 to 10. I'll just read one more time. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This woman, she's got ten silver coins. Uh, one of those coins roughly equals a day's worth of her wages. She has roughly, right, 10 coins, we think, to her possession according to the story here. And as we just expressed earlier, there's a motion that's evoked in her when she loses one of these coins. She's concerned because losing something of value, right, it begins an emotional experience. Great loss brings out great pain, right? There's a reason a funeral is harder to walk through than losing your keys or your wallet or that precious pen of yours. Great loss evokes great emotion. And here we see, I think, one day's wages is not like you or me. I'll pick up some overtime. That's not how it worked in first century. This was a major loss for her. It's a big deal. There's no ATM to go to. Just get out more. There's no savings to pull from. She lost what was precious. What was her response? Did she sit in the corner, 
just sadly wishing it hadn't happened? Did you just pray that God would somehow reveal this coin miraculously? It's possible. We don't know. But what do we know? She looked for it. And her looking was not sporadic. It was not chaotic. It was not like a chicken with its head cut off. But no, it was purposeful. There was intent and there was a process. She just tells us that she brings a lamp in. She lights up the room. Right, first century homes did not have these beautiful bay windows that you and I have in our houses, and we want them facing south because we know the most light comes in that way, and we're concerned about heat consumption. And no, minimal windows. She brings this lamp in. She lights this room up. She knows her floor is not a smooth, nice hardwood finish with a great coat of poly on top to finish it up. And no, it's a rough floor. It's got cracks. It's got parts that stick up and catches her toe all the time on them. So she gets her broom. She sweeps, hoping that perhaps her sweeping would just kind of pop that coin out of one of these cracks that it may have fallen into. How long does she do this for? Well, verse 8 tells us. Verse 9, and when she found it. There wasn't a, well, I've got five minutes. I guess look for it really quick. No, I'm going to commit to do this until I find it. See, there's a great parallel for us today in this story. And certainly multiple facets of it. But the first is this. this. This is a fantastic reminder to us today, church. That Jesus, he's not just merely interested in telling good stories. But in the midst, he wants us to learn and to grow. In the midst of this story, he wants us to expand how we view our lives and how we view those around us. See, he's telling this story in the midst of a diverse crowd, isn't he? We know there's these Pharisees, there's scribes, we know there's tax collectors, we know there's sinners. There's ones who have trusted him ones who have not yet made this decision, some who assume that that just right living or being a good person can get them to heaven, trying to do all they can, praying that God would just somehow save them, and there are some who are diligently chasing after Christ. And this story talks about a woman who's committed, she sought diligently for the coin, she was purposeful, she was intentional to light in a lamp, use in a room, and she did not stop till she found this coin. And when she did, what was, her, what was her response? Man, she calls her friends together. This seems a little problematic to me, right? She calls her friends together, and I get the impression, man, there's a party that takes place, to which I think you just are spending money that you just found. And it may have been that that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to celebrate She didn't celebrate by herself. She brought other people in with her for this. She calls her neighbors, her community in and says, look, rejoice in me. I found the coin I've lost. You see, there's joy whenever what is lost is found. There's a party that takes place, that should take place. You do that. You might not throw a party, but you celebrate when you find your keys. And let me go close to home. You celebrate when you find your lost cell phone. Way more important than our keys or our wallet, right? We celebrate. But Jesus says, look, there's so much more happening here than just a lost coin. 
He says in verse 10, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, the entire point of this story is not necessarily to celebrate a coin that was found. But you're smart and you probably saw this coming. And you know the point of this story is to connect that something is greater that's lost around us. Jesus' hope is that his audience, and I believe we today, would understand the feeling of losing a coin and connect that to what it means to know and understand that there are people around us who are as lost as that coin was in that dark house. See, a gospel community, right? again, a group of people settled in Christ, they together are to pursue him above everything else, right? They're to pray for each other. They're to sit under biblical teaching together. They're to discuss God's teaching together. They're to talk about how he's working in their individual lives together, what he's up to. They're to radically open their homes together. They're to spend time with other people for the sake of knowing God, their heavenly father. See, these people and us today are to be like the woman who loses her coin. See, what does that mean? That Jesus, I believe, is calling us, he's reminding us that we, his followers, we are to have lives that are maturing and staying there as long as we can. And becoming more like Christ and we see the desperate need for people around us to know Jesus as their Savior. Jesus tells us that when one comes to Christ, that there is joy before the angels of God over that one who repents. Earlier in verse 7, Jesus said this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What does that mean? Listen, when somebody comes to trust in Christ as their Savior, they put their full, authentic faith in the hope of the gospel that heaven throws a party every single time. And I'm concerned that we don't. I'm concerned that we're perfectly content with never having another party be thrown in heaven again. I'm concerned that we're content with knowing that, okay, my family has trusted in Christ. My friends that I kind of have close to me are trusted in Christ. Therefore, heaven is, I'm sure, content. They're probably close to maxed out anyway, right? So let's just stop. Let's not be worried about having any more parties. And if that is our posture, if that is our heart and our mind, then we become pharisaical. Because we're saying to people, look, man, Jesus is the best that it gets. And we stop there. We're calling people to something, but we're not willing to tell them what. The Pharisees were calling people to tons of rules and rules and rules and rules, but they would not give clear examples. They just want to catch in your act. 
if the people of God are to represent him and to reflect him, then we need to know and understand and be convicted and brokenhearted that God is greatly concerned about people. He's concerned about people. He's not concerned about your car as much. He's not concerned about your favorite sports team as much. He's not concerned about your pet as much. Man, his heart is for people. Because last my check, my truck is not made in God's image. Nor is my, I don't have any pets. What do we do? A hamster. Nor is my hamster made in God's image. And frankly, my sports team is just playing a game, game paid for it. concerned about people. Jesus is concerned about life and the souls of people. He's concerned about their need to be restored to right relationship with their heavenly Father through the gospel of Jesus Christ and no other way. See, a gospel community of people who are striving to love Christ and seek to live in obedience to him, we must have a heart and mind that is just like the woman in this story who wanted nothing more than what was lost to be found. So you, again, you get the impression that when the coin was lost, it wasn't like, well, I hope it turns up. When that coin was lost, it was a willingness to throw everything aside to stop all of life until that coin was found. If it meant to burn more oil than she really had to burn, she was going to do it because the coin was worth it. A gospel community that grows and seeks to understand the preciousness of life around us is one that's not going above and beyond, by the way, church. It's one that's being biblically faithful to do what you're supposed to do. You and I cannot be convinced that to share Christ with somebody else is like a super Christian thing to do. That's ridiculous. We are called to share the gospel. We're commanded to share the gospel. And your job as a follower of Jesus is not to attain perfection, but your job is to be obedient in all things that God calls us to. And what does he call us to? Man, people, people, people. See, the gospel reminds us, church, that you are not as fantastic as you think you are. I'm a train wreck. Like, do you not know this yet? About three, over three years I've been here. Figure it out. Like, the jig should be up by now. Hang out with me. Play golf with me, right? I'm not good at a lot of things, and I don't always do a great job reflecting Christ. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. But if you are in Christ, you are saved by the precious blood of the holy, spotless Lamb that attains something that you could never do. And the beauty is that that's in your new identity. See, we have to, church, we have to, gospel community, understand that we were sheep that were lost. Christ, in his great riches and mercy, he's pursued us. 
even willing to leave the 99 and go after the one, which I don't know about you, but to me it seems ludicrous. It's one. Guess what sheep do? They make more sheep. So I'm not a shepherd, but I can say this, and that means two ways, right? If one goes away, look, I'm assuming the other sheep are going to make more sheep. There is that fact, right? So let's, let's draw a parallel here. The, the church, right? Followers of Jesus, we're called as sheep. Sheep are not smart. Just, okay, don't be encouraged by this. Sheep are actually pretty dumb. All right, they follow each other off cliffs. It's, it's weird. But Jesus calls us sheep because I think he knows we are. So there's two analogies here, right? Sheep will make more sheep. If we're the sheep, we're, we're the flock, guess what part of our job is to do? Make more sheep. We're not talking biologically here. We're talking spiritually, folks. It's a call to God's followers to live in light of the gospel and to share verbally Christ with people and to show Christ with your actions and how you love and how your heart breaks and how you listen and how you give advice and how kind of a, what kind of a neighbor you are, what kind of a coworker you are, what kind of person you are when you drive to work in the morning. All those things are opportunities to show that I am a sheep who's been pursued by the shepherd. Because that's the other piece that we're seeing here. As we would say, illogically as it sounds, the shepherd would leave the 99 to pursue the one. I want to say that seems so ridiculous. Look, if you are now in Christ, at one point you were the one. I grew up in a tradition of just, I think, biblical teaching, and it wasn't um, teaching against this, but it didn't teach the fullness of this to me. And what I mean is this, for so long in my, just my own personal life, I've kind of grown up with a deep conviction that God would never pursue me. That, that, that if there's distance between the Lord, man, because I'm the sheep just walking away, and he's probably saying, come back when you're ready, I guess. Like I kind of fell into this thought process of just, man, when I'm away, Jesus says, look, when you're ready, come back. Let's go. Just, I'll be over here with the other 99. I don't think it's a true scope of what the scriptures teach, man. Because I have a, a, a season, you heard briefly about it last, last week at our nation service from Mike. He was my youth pastor growing up. He talked about that season of my life. The story he shared about just kind of bringing even my name is a humbling to think about. My name, he brought my name of all the students he worked with before the Lord and begged the Lord to bring me back. I get parents to that. I never knew he did that. Right? What is he asking the Lord to do in that moment? Look, pursue Nate because he's so thick-headed right now, so wrought with sin that he has no desire to pursue you, Jesus. So please pursue him. And I'm a testimony Jesus pursuing me. See, we are to be a family, man, that wants to grow. The family of God is called to desire growth. One of our greatest and most constant prayers that we have should be for growth. Yes, there's a personal piece of that, that you would mature, keep keep getting after maturity when you get there stay there as long as you can but we have to be a people a gospel community must be a people that desires growth hear very clearly what I'm saying though 
I am not talking about State Street Church attendance. I think it's important. I think it's important for people to be here and sit under biblical teaching and worship the Lord together. I think it's a part of it. But what I'm talking about with growth, I'm talking about kingdom growth. I'm talking gospel community desires growth, the desires for God's kingdom to grow, to grow, to grow. As best as I can tell, reading through the scriptures, I don't see a cap number out there. Like, well, there's only a certain amount of people. Like, I, I mean, we're supposed to get after growing the kingdom. And I, and I am reformed in my theology. I think there is election. I think there is predestination. I want to believe that God has predestined 99% of the people. So I'm going to live my life that way. But I don't know who he's called to himself and, and called unto himself. But I want to believe, believe it. it's big. And I think what happens so often, and I even hear it in our church, is that we kind of get this dull drum. Oh, here we go. It's hard being a believer. I'm not saying it's not hard. But what I am saying is glorious. Because you know your creator in heaven. You've been rescued from the wretchedness of your sin. You've been restored in right relationship with God the Father. And so there's, there's beauty and there's excitement in gathering together. And we should want that for more people. See, a gospel community grows in that it sees and understands the preciousness of the Imago Dei, that humanity bears the image of God. It's not limited to socioeconomic class, not limited to race, it's not limited to, to current professing religion even. Right? So get out of the idea that because someone professes Buddha or someone professes Allah, they're, they're not part of God's people. That's not true. They're just not there yet. They might be what God wants to take and redeem to himself. But I think we, we see other people like, oh, they'll never change their mind. That's not your job. That's not my job. Your job is to speak truth, to love lavishly, and to show Christ in unbelievable ways that are, make no sense to that person. And allow God to change their heart and change their mind. Because you can't do that. I can't do that. So in, in some respects, right, there's some pressure off, isn't there? Like, I, we, again, so if you don't know, we have four boys. Okay. Uh, to this timeline of history, two of them have trusted in Christ. And two have not yet. And Kim and I have prayed for the softening of their hearts and the working of the Spirit to call them. We believe it's our job to teach them, to model for them these things. But ultimately, man, I can try to convince them all I want. But for an authentic faith to take place, the Lord has to do that. And we're trusting and believing He will in His time. And then we pray that God keep them, keep them, keep them, keep them. Bury the roots down deep. Water the seeds. Do not let them be choked out. We trust it to the Lord. Because if you have kids who are grown up, what do you know? That one day it dawns on you. They're their own people now. You watch them make decisions and you watch them fall flat in their faces. You're praying, God, remind them of what was planted. Remind them of what was planted. Give it growth again. Water it more. You pray those things. And then hopefully you also say, hey, Jesus loves you. I love you. I want Jesus to be rich and deep in your life. Why? Because gospel community desires growth. 
See, when we understand that we ourselves were once sheep that were lost and that Christ in his grace and his mercy pursued us, even willing to walk away from the 99 to pursue that one, we remember those things, we were humbled in that moment. At least we ought to be. In that moment of our initial rescuing, man, heaven celebrated over you. Heaven wants to keep celebrating. I said it last week, one of my greatest things to kind of does bad taste in my mouth is just this idea that, man, believers, we're just not fun people. It's not true. Oh, man, we have great grief are. And even that pales in comparison to the kind of joy that should exude when one comes to know Christ. With our lives, there must be an understanding. Listen, this is important. That the flock is not full yet. Church, we must understand there are lost coins out there. A gospel community, the people of God are called to be like the woman who would not rest until the coin was found. And we, church, we're we're called to constantly be in prayer for people to to come to know Christ. And that's that's huge, like 30,000 feet prayer. Like, Lord, um, do your work right now, okay? In the Sudan, do your work right now across this globe, And all the way right down to do your work right now in young Eli and Quinn's life. Names and faces. We're called to constantly remind yourselves of the gospel, its own work in our lives. And not just the salvation work, but the continued work the Holy Spirit does to grow us, right? And keep us in that maturity. So often, I think the daily grind, the immediate needs, a nagging schedule... It gets our attention. The things to do surround our lives and even consume us. But ultimately, what does that accomplish? If your day goes perfect, if there's no snags, there's no interruptions at work, traffic's not an issue for you at all, if all the situations you find yourselves in today go great, what changes for you? Let me tell you what changes. Nothing, because you're going to go to bed and wake up and tomorrow, guess what's going to be there? The same schedule, the same business nagging at you. See, if we're waiting for the perfect moment, the perfect euphoric day before we can start sharing Christ with people, you'll never have it. And at sometimes I even think, right, if we wait for the, what we perceive to be the perfect moment to share Christ with somebody, we're limiting what God is calling us to because what you need to be praying is spirit let me know how to follow you and loving and showing Christ to this person because the spirit might call you to very uncomfortably share Christ and show Christ in that moment listen for some of you let me remind you and just draw your mind back in history of your own life to those who have trusted in Christ, there was a point for you when that authentic faith started. You may not recognize it. You might not be able to remember the moment. But listen to what happened. 
Your eternity was at that point secured in a positive light and glory. Your sins, past, present, even what you thought as we sat here for the last hour and 15 minutes that was not God honoring, even that's forgiven. And what you will do tomorrow that will break God's heart has already been forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ when you're his. Your identity was changed. You became a son or a daughter of your heavenly father and your relationship with your heavenly father was restored. And the next day, that was true. And the next day, that was true. And today, that remains true as you persevere in the faith. That ought to remind us today that that is the exact reality that takes place in someone else's life when they come to know Christ. And as I said last week, I'm going to caution you very clearly. Do not think for a moment that you age out of being useful to the Lord. Like at some point in life, you're like, I'm too old. God's done with me. Let me tell you when God's done with you. When you die. Let's be frank here, right? That's it. I know so many people who just tell stories of, of even um, in the hospital, pre, pre-death, they're on their way to death's door. Uh, individuals talking to nurses about Jesus. Well, what does that tell me? It's possible. By God's grace. Our greatest endeavor in the best use of time right now, if you have no idea where to begin, the best use of your time in pursuing gospel growth is prayer. That you can pray specifically for the names and the lives around you that come to your heart, that come to your mind when you don't even know why and pray that they would come to Christ. When you wake up and you have no reason, you have to go to the bathroom at two in the morning, you can't fall back asleep, pray for that name that comes to your mind. They would come to know Christ. They would be reestablished in their faith if they've walked away. But listen, both the woman and the shepherd, they also acted, didn't they? They pressed into the mission of searching and finding. See, the parable here is more of a parable of the way that God desires for his people to be found. And I believe that he is the shepherd who truly pursues the sheep. He is the woman who did whatever it took to find the coin. It's a reminder as well that God has done all that was necessary to bring salvation to us. He paid that price. He is our example of a heart that was moved to action for people to be restored. See, a gospel community should seek to be a growing community. And that we're committed to pray for the lost, for people to trust in the hope of the gospel. This is my biggest prayer for you, these next couple things. If you want to know where I'm at as your pastor right now, this is one of them. That we, collectively, you and I, would have hearts that actually break for lost people. That it wrecks us. That we would truly believe that there is a real life, heaven and hell. There is an eternity at stake for every individual made to God's image. And that we would truly believe the best way 
to live your life on earth today is a life lived with Christ as our Lord and Savior. I'm not talking prosperity gospel there. I'm talking about, man, I'm known by my creator. (laughs) It changes everything. All of these things are matters of the heart and mind. If you or I find ourselves without a burden, if we are not burdened today for people to know Christ, then our first step has to be to begin to pray for ourselves. That we would return to the hope of the gospel in our own lives, and that we would have a heart that is broken. And out of that, begin to pray that we would be bold in conversation, honest about Jesus, that our lives be lived in such a way that Jesus is seen through our actions and our words. Look, invite people in your homes. What's one person you can have in your home this week? Just one. Well, you can say, well, how is that, having a heart for people? You're going to get to know them. <laughs> you're going to talk about life. And you're going to trust and pray that God will lead your mind and heart in that conversation. And then be obedient to that leading. And then get out of the way. And see what God would like to do. Again, my greatest prayer for us as a gospel community is that we would have hearts that break for those who have not yet trusted Christ. Who the scriptures would say are, are actually sick in need of healing. They're, they're lost in need of being found. See, one of the saddest things in life, of all of life, is this, in my opinion, a selfish life. One of the saddest things. A life consumed with just personal gain, joy, and happiness. Just as the gospel does not allow you to have a castle, the gospel also does not allow you to have that opinion. You cannot, as a follower of Jesus, be consumed with a selfish life. The gospel reminds us of our need for Christ, our rescuing by the shepherd, and the joy of being found like the woman who found the coin. Church, may God graciously, listen, graciously soften and break our hearts. And would God graciously give us eyes for the gospel and those around us. Let's pray. Lord, that is it, it's humbling to think about. It's, it's a lot to process, but it is obedience in pursuit of you. God, would the gospel remind us today, would you remind us of the work of your spirit today that we don't deserve you, but we get to you by your grace and your mercy. We did nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to earn it. And through your spirit, you keep it and allow us to persevere. Father, give us hearts and minds and eyes that see the needs of those around us to step in radically, motivated by the gospel, to have hearts that break, to be a community that grows. In your name, amen.